All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an Victoria Hall, and we are going to be talking about Ty West's The House of the Devil. Hey, Victoria, how you doing? Hey, Rob, good, thanks. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Pleasure is all mine. I've been listening to this podcast for a very long time, and I'm really thrilled and excited and honored to to, to sort of um, be chatting with you today and to be talking about this film, which is very very close to my heart i love this film yeah i i also love this film and thank you for being on the show really appreciate it um yeah this is really great that we get to talk about this this is one of my this is probably in my top 10 i think for horror films um definitely when we're dealing with a hitchcockian slow burn this is there i i saw this in theaters back in 2000 i think it was 2010 when it finally came out 2009 on its initial release i saw it at the music box theater in chicago illinois and it it was automatically terrifying we were in the smaller of the two theaters but there was someone sitting behind us and they came in like later in the movie maybe about a third of the way after the greta gerwig scene the scene and (laughs) At that point, now I'm nervous because I'm like, is A.J. Bowen behind me? Like, what is about to happen? (laughs) And it kept getting more nerve-wracking up until the end. But we heard at one point something shatter outside of the theater, and it turned out someone had thrown a brick through, like, a window two doors down by the end of the movie. But this 4D experience that we had watching this movie (laughs) made it that much more terrifying, and that's why... It's so high on my list. Victoria, <laughs> why is it why is it one of your favorites? Look, I think uh, for me, it's um, one of the first films in, um, I'd say, yeah, like sort of 2010, I also saw it, that really did the 80s aesthetic and did it quite authentically. Like I felt like uh, it's, it's quite overdone now. But um, I felt like he was one of the earlier ones to to sort of um, do that retro look and feel. So um, I was just blown away by it. Being an 80s kid, um, like it was just, it really tapped into my nostalgic heart. And yeah, that's why I loved it. And, and it's a very simple sort of film, um, you know, classic sort of late 70s, early 80s technology and, and techniques and story Um but I just loved it. I just loved it. Yeah, it reminded me of all the great horror films that I watched growing up. Yeah. Uh, Ty West is very underrated, I think, as a director. He, granted, I can understand he ha- he did at one point get studio backing to do Cabin Fever 2 and then was <laughs> like, oh, shit, what did I get myself into? Can you take me off the film? Yeah. And they're like, nah, man, we're keeping you on. No Ellen Smithy here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's and, not that bad. It could be worse, you know. Oh, I, 
<laughs> I watched it last night. I watched it last night, actually. And uh, I, I rated uh, that film really low, actually, the first time I watched it. And last night, I actually upped my rating on IMDb because it's actually pretty funny right up into the yep. midpoint. It's hilarious. And, uh, you know, picking up from Eli Roth as well, you know, um, with the first one, uh, you know, I thought, I thought he, I think the ending got a little bit, sure, yeah, iffy. But- but up until the midpoint, I actually was really enjoying it. Yeah. But, you know, I think, what else did he do? He did The Sacrament. He did The Innkeepers. That was after um, this. Um, but he, you know, I, I had a lot of high hopes for Ty West. For me, he was like an exciting new director on the, on the scene. Um, yeah. I, haven't seen, I haven't seen The Roost, which I think is his first film, I have to admit. So I think I think before the roost, no, maybe it was after the roost was Trigger Man. Yeah, Trigger Man I think was two thousand seven possibly, and that was shot for ten thousand right. um, dollars. And that's I think about a guy just being hunted. Now with with the roost, that oh man, okay. When I it's it's almost the same way with Cabin Fever too. Like when I first saw the roost, there was a lot of hype behind it. And it was, I think, 2005. So, oh, wow. That's 15 yeah. years ago. Oh, God. Oh, no, I'm <laughs> old. Scary. Um, I know. <laughs> so I remember seeing this. And I thought it was all right. I thought it was okay. You know, it was, it's, it's very, it, it's dark. So it's hard to see a lot of what's going on. But that's kind of part of why it works. Also, it's extremely low budget. Extremely mm. low budget film. Uh, I think now... Looking back at the other stuff that he's done, revisiting it works a lot better. It's kind of mm. like Pumpkinhead. Like when I yeah. first saw Pumpkinhead, I was expecting a splatter fest because that's what I was <laughs> used to from the 1980s films. And then I was like, no, I don't like mm. this film. But then I saw Pumpkinhead 2 and was like, this film's even worse. And then I saw 3 and was like, no, this is terrible. <laughs> and then I watched the first one again and went, this is pretty good. Yeah. And then I watched it again and was like, you know what? Not just good, it's pretty great. Yeah, yeah, it, it can happen. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's kind of like you you can rewatch these things later on, and depending on what's happened since then, that's right. That can actually like the Cabin Fever remake has yeah. made the original Cabin Fever so that much, much better, better. <laughs> like infinitely Absolutely. better. Where people could have forgotten it. Yeah, the remake was like, no, 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 no. What were they thinking? <laughs> No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I should check out The Roost, but, um, you know, I was just, yeah, I, I was really excited. Um, this film in particular made me really excited about Ty West as a director. And he he just, I mean, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's got a couple of films coming out um, soon, but he's really gone more into, I think, the TV space. He's, like, directed, I think, like an episode of The Exorcist. He's... I think he right. did Outcast as well, which was um, a series that I got into mm-hmm. a few years ago. Um, and he just, dare I say it, hasn't quite lived up to the expectation, I don't think, that I had of him. I, I really thought he was going to be may- maybe the new John Carpenter. Maybe that was too much of a Well, pencil. you know, I mean, he's still early in his career. So this could be one of those moments where we're seeing the first few films transitioning to other stuff and then you know with the way the world is now maybe this is the perfect time and the way that carpenter basically made films about the world around him 
and the chaos that was happening, especially when he did his Apocalypse trilogy. And I think this is kind of the same thing where Ty West did a lot of, uh, I mean, he was doing some occult films in the beginning, you know, the sacrament and, and this, and, uh, I'm sure another one in there is a cult of some sort. Uh, I haven't seen everything. So of his, but he's got a lot of years, you know, left ahead of him and, and a lot of films, hopefully. Yeah. He's only like 40, I think. So yeah, he's yeah, definitely- yeah. He's- Still in I mean, his prime. Let's not write him off too early. You're totally right, Rob. Like Craven, <laughs> Craven didn't even start until he was in his 40s, really. Yeah. You know, he had, a, he had a late start as far as feature directing. Like he was, you know, doing other stuff. But it's the same type of thing. A lot of people aren't going to hit their stride until later in life, especially as a director, because you're going based on life experience and stuff like that. Yeah. So. True. Um, That's very fair. That's very fair. Well, let's watch this space. Stay tuned to more from um, Ty West. Um, but I yes, I love this film. And I just love the opening, even just like the opening credits of this film. It's um, quintessential early 80s. You know, we've got, it's, you know, really grainy, filmy sort yeah. of feel. I don't know. I don't know if you know, but was it shot on film or was it shot digitally? It was, you know, it was shot on 16 millimeter. So this was basically the idea was to recapture the films of the 70s and 80s that he grew up on. It was to give it that that same look and feel that you don't get nowadays. Like that died in the 90s when people were doing more of this digital Mm. uh, and high eight type stuff camcorder. it, It just no, no. We need that grain, we need that texture, we need that actual film quality in there. And that, yeah, that opening got me right away. I remember seeing this. By the way, Dee Wallace is in this for the oh. first under four minutes. She's in this for less than four minutes. At the start. Who I timed it. Want- she, by the three minute, 45 second mark of the movie, okay? And, that, and I'm talking like we still have the first 30 to 40 seconds of actual like opening uh production credits and stuff so by the time we your title card so by the time we get to where you first see her she's on screen for like three minutes yeah and that's it yeah but that's it's you know what though it's such a, it's such a believable for performance from her which is strange because i've seen other stuff with her in it where they make her ham it up so much and go so cheesy yeah but this this is exactly how she should be Absolutely. And for those of you who don't know who Dee Wallace is, and I'm assuming most of you do, she's in The Howling. She's in E.T. What else is she in, Rob? The Frighteners. Frighteners. She's amazing. I love her to yeah. death. She's um, in boy. She's in everything. I mean, Cujo. Cujo. Uh, yes. That's her. That's her big one. Um, she's yeah, she's awesome. And she's had a solid career. Uh, I mean, granted, you know, a lot of a lot of these 80 horror movie icons are now getting hired to do more of this straight to DVD or straight to video on demand stuff. But not all of those films are bad. Mm. A lot of them are, but not <laughs> all of them. Not all of them. But whatever, they're getting they're getting work. And this is, you know, this is one of those where we're seeing we got Tom Noonan and Mary Warren off in this like. Yes. Oh, Tom Noonan. I mean, hello, um, Ed Two O Nine, Robocop Two, <laughs> Kane. Um, yeah. Yeah. We got. We got. Um, yeah. Oh man, and he was uh, Frankenstein's monster in Monster Squad. 
few ones, yeah. And then Mary Warrenoff, um, Rock and Roll High School Forever, where she plays the, and no one knows that movie. So this is I didn't a deep know that cut. Movie. Mm. Rock and Roll High School Forever starred Corey Feldman. It came out in 1991, I think. It is a see. It is the sequel to Rock and Roll High School. It is a. It's a movie. It's entertaining. It's really dumb, but it's great in its own way. And she plays like principals. She's got like a claw or something. So I think yeah. you call her like principal claw. Or it is dumb and great she was also in eating raul uh, and then she reprises that role in chopping mall which oh, i love chopping mall no i love chopping no, mall. no 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 I'm, I'm, i love it too but i i saw it when i saw it when it was called killbots so on the usa network it came on with its original title of killbots and i was like this is amazing what is this movie and i couldn't find it for years and then finally they're like there's this movie chopping mall and I rented it and I'm like, this is killbots guys. This is killbots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it, it's great. It's, it's tacky. Dumb, it's cheesy. It's, it's dumb, but it's, it's gotta be done. You know, <laughs> Oh yeah. I love it. Really good cast. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I think it's Greta, it's Greta Gerwig, isn't it? Who plays yeah. Megan, who is our lead character, Sam's best friend. And she wrote lady bird um i think um yeah, she was in francis ha as well she's gr like i mean she's I an academy award-winning actress she's amazing and she's in this for 35 minutes <laughs> but she's she's like one of my favorite characters in this um actually. absolutely i just i just think she was um very funny and i thought her performance in this was um quite like she reminded me of a lot of my girlfriends actually growing up. Um, although I do think she's got a lot to answer for, but we can get to that. <laughs> well, I feel like she's the voice of reason in this movie. No, she, well, she is, she is. However, she also Rob, she let the monster in the proverbial house. Like she took down. I mean, I feel like we need to back up here actually. We're yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, Let's we're, back up. We, we are jumping in way too deep. Um, so let's go so, back. We've we've gotten yeah. the credits out of the way, um, which are amazing. She's she's living in a dorm, right? She's living yeah. in a dorm. She's got a really slutty, dirty um, roommate who just has like lads over all the time. And poor Sam, she's like this. Who's our lead? She's this virginal, innocent, studious, slightly paranoid type. She's a big germaphobe. Um, and this room she's living in, I mean, it's stinking, right? So she yeah. is desperate to get out of this dorm and she goes um, to look at properties and she meets Dee Wallace, her potential landlady. And uh, Dee sort of takes a shine to her because she reminds her of her daughter and says, look, I'll give you this property. Um, I'll forego the bond. Just give me a month's rent up yeah. front. Um, and, you know, it does beg the question, like, what is Sam going to do in this giant house? It's a big house that she's looking at, but she wants it. Um, the landlady said, get me the money for the month's rent by Monday mm -hmm. and uh, and it's yours. 
So the pressure's on Sam then to find this money. And you just get this sort of feeling that Sam's a bit alone in the world, you know, like she, I I don't, I don't get the feeling that she's got any family around or parents who can financially support her, but she does have this best friend, doesn't she? Megan. Yep. Megan. Yeah. So that was Greta Gerwig. And she, she really um, is from a rich family and she's like willing um, to ask her dad for money to help um, Sam, you know, get this place. And Sam's just too proud. And she's like, no, I've got to earn this money. So she starts looking for work. Which is crazy in itself, just because her friend is offering to help her out. And she, her friend, like, Megan even says to her, look, he, he doesn't even care. It's fine. Write your check. We'll get you. Know, we'll get you the money. You'll be fine. But as we're going through this film, it's like I just feel that she keeps Samantha keeps making one bad choice after another as she goes through the entire movie where Megan seems like she could have ended this movie so many times. Absolutely. But but also Megan let the monster in the house. So um, yeah. Sam Sam sees a poster um, which says "Babysitter Wanted," like dollar signs, you know. Um, and she takes the number. She calls through this beautiful, like extreme close-up shot that's so quintessentially eighties as well. Leaves a message. Oh, yeah. on, <laughs> I love that shot. Um, leaves a message on the voicemail. You know, looking for a babysitter. I'm available, sort of thing. Um, and uh, the guy rings back straight away. She's at a payphone, so she like rushes back to the payphone and and takes a call. And he arranges to meet her, um, and he doesn't turn up. He does. Yeah. He stands her up. Now I don't understand why. Why did he stand her up? Do you think? So that's where I I'm. What's What's weird? Even before we get to that, like as you'll notice in in when she's pulling the. Um, the babysitter wanted tag every single thing that's around that is talking about a lunar eclipse. Everything. The poster that it's attached to is this giant thing about, you know, having the, the, the lunar eclipse shade type things, or that would be for solar. But anyway, they have the people looking up and they're like, the lunar eclipse is coming. Um, and, and we know that means when, bad shit's going to happen. You know? Well, in the, in the <laughs> beginning, like, the first thing we see is they say, you know, the year's 1983, and they're talking about cults, satanic cults. So the first th- the first words that we see on screen within the first minute are satanic cults. So we're like, all right, this is going to deal with a satanic cult. And then we're like, lunar eclipse. Okay, we're going that route then. And then... <laughs> You know, when we got the film, Grant, I'm like, yeah, this is a 1970s, early 80s occult flick to a T. Uh, I think the reason that he stood her up in the beginning is he said there were other people. And I th- I think maybe it was about finding those people in the beginning. Who knows what happened to them? And, and, you know, I mean, they were probably because he's like, oh, they didn't work out. And it could have yeah, been to see right. if she was really willing to do that. So it could have been just watching her. And seeing, like, is she willing to stay? Can she put up with this? Because they ask her for a lot. Mm. Too much. Like, way too much. Yeah. Uh, But I also think that... Part of me thinks they've been watching her for a while. You reckon? 
I don't know, man. There's something about the pizza, like something about oh. there, there's the pizza thing that comes back. And I know that, that, but it's so similar to the other one that's far away at the school that I'm, I'm thinking that AJ Bowen's character somehow has just been watching her forever or not forever, but for a certain amount of time, because they keep talking about preparation, preparation. Yes. I feel like maybe it was all to guide her into this whole thing. But then later in the film, later in the film, um, Tom Noonan, Tom, Tom Noonan um, says, uh, who is Mr. Ullman, who she's calling for the babysitting job says, um, you know, um, I told you she was right. You doubted me. So I feel like perhaps she wasn't the first choice. I do feel like perhaps that's that's a good, that's a very, very good point. And that, that actually makes a lot more sense than having it where maybe they just needed someone and they were like, oh, they needed a virgin, right? And the first one didn't work out. Because maybe she wasn't essential. a virgin. <laughs> that's what I mean. That's, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like the first one, they, they realized, you know, oh, no, not a virgin. Uh, so, you know, they, they offer or they just get her to leave and they're like, hey, this isn't going to work out or whatever because who knows. And they might just let someone leave. It's very doubtful, though. Uh, but, but essentially, so, she, she, she doesn't get the job. Like, he yeah, right away, up, yeah. And, yeah. He, and she's sort of left waiting and she's really bummed out. And she really wants this house. And so um, she goes and she meets Megan for a slice of pizza. And this is where, like, Megan's like, I'll just get my dad to give you the money. She's like, no, I can't ask your dad. Um, and then there is that little bit of foreshadowing there where, um, Megan's eating that pizza and she's like, this pizza tastes bad. And, and yeah. sort of, you know, you know, that comes back in later. Um, but it could be, it could be, yeah, that the son, you know, is already working in that pizza parlor or, you know, who knows? But yeah, but or it could just be foreshadowing. But yeah, so the pizza tastes bad, and and Greta Gerwig, who who plays Megan, she sort of makes a joke. Well, oh, just take all the posters down, and then you'll be the only one that calls, yeah. and you'll definitely get the job. And um, Sam's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But of course, Megan goes behind her back and does that anyway. So really, while Megan is a great friend yeah. and is the voice of reason. Um, in a lot of the movie, she also there's this set, sets into play Sam being the victim here um, by putting all those posters down and narrowing this search down to just now. This one and, girl. and and while that is true, she tells her immediately and apologizes for all of it. And there's still plenty of there are so many chances to get out of there. Still, <laughs> there are so many that. And this is where. It's explained where I'm watching this and I'm like, yeah, Greta Gerwig, you are, you, yeah, I'm, I'm going with you in a horror movie. Yeah. We're going to get out of here and be okay. Uh, so yeah, I guess she, she goes back to her, she goes back to her dorm and, uh, her roommate who has been uh, hooking up with, I'm the, by the way, the place is filthy. It's so gross in there. It is like there's stuff all over the floor. It's just absolutely disgusting. And a roommate tells her that somebody called, left a message, and she ends up, you know, talking to Mr. Ullman. 
And there we go. From there, he apologizes. He's like, I'm so sorry. You know, this type of thing happened. She could have just said no right then. But then you're like, man, look at where she lives. Look at her roommate. Mm. She needs some money. So she's like, yeah. Yeah. And then at that point, he was already saying he was going to double the money and give her $100. Yeah. Yeah. On the phone. Yeah. On the phone. And I'm like, $100. $100. The year is 1983. Okay. That's a lot of money. 50 even was a good amount. A hundred. Yeah. All right. Now yeah. This, yeah. So it was all about trying to lure her out there. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I need you here tonight. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Tonight. So now she has to go out there and Megan's going to drive her out there. And then we get into the car where she tells <laughs> her about, you know, how she stole all of those, those flyers. This place is in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. Actually, there's what there's one other thing nearby. A decrepit old cemetery, you know? Yep. yep. <laughs> That's the only other thing. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I had to look at a map. I had to, I had to pull out a map. And it's like, oh, God, okay, 1983, small town. You probably know where everything is in the area. So if you're pulling out a map, this is way off the beaten path. That also brings up the whole pizza thing, too, where I'm like, oh, okay. So we get to we get to the house. Yeah. So, yeah, she's driven her out. Yeah. She warns her. I mean, she's still warning her is uh, this whole time of like, maybe you shouldn't do this type thing. Um, if they're creepy, like, oh. the plan is, if they're creepy, the plan is we're, we're out of here. So guess what? Tom Noonan opens the door. Creepy as fuck. Right away, because you don't even see his face right away. You just see this this figure standing there. He's very soft spoken this whole film, except for one time, <laughs> and it's very it, it's very unsettling. It's extremely unsettling. But he, you know, he shakes her hand and, and brings her in, and then is wanting to talk to into the house. Oh, geez, the house. It, this is like Bates Motel type house. It is old it's yeah. old money it's stuffy it's sort of gothicy looking um just the house alone pulling up to that was creepy you know and then him the answering the you, door you know and once you enter the house in itself is a character in this movie it's as a character as, as much as um samantha's a character she has this classic 1970s look and style about her uh, especially when you're using 16 millimeter, you're able to catch everything. So he really focused because you don't really see a lot of makeup on her. So they're trying to ca- no. capture everything. So you're seeing like freckles and, and everything on there. Uh, but it really gives this realness to the film and it makes it feel like it was filmed in that no. time period because she she embodies late 70s, early 80s. And, she does. She's, she's yeah. got this like sort of beautiful brunette, feathered hair. She's got the high-waisted jeans. She's got the um, uh, flannelette shirt buttoned up high, tucked in, cute backpack, cute little beanie and scarf. You know, she's very innocent. Um, And then you've got Megan who's, you know, sort of got a, you know, bottle blonde hair and blue eyeshadow and lip gloss. And, you know, she's just a little bit more out there and a little bit more sort of glossy and glamorous, yeah. you know, in that sense. So absolutely. It, they're kind of two quite different characters, but, um, you know, 
sort of Megan talks also about not being able to get a date and her being a bit quirky and it's scaring off guys and yeah yeah she talks about how this guy like it's like oh don't you have a date tonight and she's like no he doesn't like me <laughs> like, what so she That's... doesn't have anywhere to be right Megan doesn't right, have yeah. anywhere to be she's driven Sam out to this creepy old house and they've met Tom and they've gone inside and it's stu it's stuffy and it's like all sort of old sort of uncomfortable furniture and and it's just not a house you would ever feel like you could relax in, right? Gross old candies that she's picking through. Were they poisoned? Did they poison those candies? Like, no. what do you think? No. No, I don't think so. Uh, because I don't think they were in the house long enough to poison the candies, which we can kind of talk about when we, after we get through the, oh, hey, what are you doing here scene? Uh, the letting, letting the guy in type thing. Um... That 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 scene just was it blew my mind. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but before we even get to that, she gets called into the kitchen uh, by Tom Noonan. Okay, this is the biggest warning sign. The, yeah. What he says, he's mm. like, "Hey, um, I don't really have enough to pay for two people to be here. A hundred dollars was what she was getting, so he couldn't afford two hundred dollars." Mm. So then he says, you know, please sit down. I, I have to tell you what's really going on. And he explains to her there's no child. You're not here to babysit a child. Um, you know, people have kind of run off. That's why the last person, you know, didn't work out. It's my mother. You, we're, we, you're here to, to babysit, to kind of just watch over her. But guess what? She can, she, she can take she, care of herself. She's able-bodied, you know. Yeah, very, and, very private. Very private. Don't disturb her at all. Right, right. But she, but she's able-bodied, and yes, we need a babysitter. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then the price goes up to two hundred dollars very quickly, yeah. and within two seconds afterwards, three hundred dollars. Yeah. Now, yeah. right there, that's enough to pay off everything for her, but she decides that she's gonna press her luck. And says, make it 400. Next thing you see, they're going out the door together. And you're like, oh, I guess it didn't work. No, it worked. It worked. They're paying her $400 when the guy said he couldn't even afford 200 That's right. That right there. Yeah. That's red. That's the biggest red flag. And also, who's going to pay you $400 when the initial was 50 Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely uh, a stretch. And but the thing is, right, even though he's saying, like, you know, I can't afford to pay for your friend, like, why wouldn't you just say, okay, that's fine. She's just here to keep me company, you know? He would have found a way to get her to not be there. Mm. And this he is the thing that bugs yeah. me. Like, Megan, Megan does leave, you know? Megan's like, she goes out, she's like, he's paying me this amount, it's totally fine. And Megan's like, no, have you forgotten the plan? The plan was, if they're creepy, we're out of here. And now Sam's like backpedaling. No, no, it'll be fine. And this one night changes everything for me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm surprised. I feel like Megan breaks the girl code here. And she does leave her. I feel like Megan, and, and at first I thought, is Megan going to leave and then come back when they've left? 
but no, she doesn't. She does leave. And and I, and I was like, no, Megan, don't leave her there. <laughs> well, I mean, she does. She does. And she doesn't. She pulls over to the side of the road. In, into the cemetery. Into she the pulls. cemetery, <laughs> which it's like foreshadowing there as well. But she pulls over into the cemetery and that's where I'm thinking, all right, she got out of the way and was pulling into there and waiting and then she was going to go back. So I think the original intent was she's not going to leave her friend behind. She's going to play the good friend and say, okay, we're not going to make a scene here. We'll let them leave. And then she's just going to come back. No argument. She'll show right back up. Because you see her as she's smoking, you know, getting ready to smoke her cigarette. Um, I love this scene. This scene's oh, so good. <laughs> it, it is. I rewatched it a few because I watched this um, before we were doing this tonight again. And I had to just go back a few times for that because I'm like, it's so unsettling. It's so unexpected. We're at like the 33 minute mark when she pulls over to light this cigarette. So she winds down the window, right? She's like winding down the window to smoke this cigarette. She's waiting for the car lighter, you know, back in the days when cars had lighters in them and you push the button in. <laughs> so, you know, she's waiting for the lighter to heat up in the car. She's wound down the window and uh, a hand from the dark appears through the window with a lighter. Yep. yep. And it's just like, what the hell? It's just a shock out of nowhere. And at first she's, you know, taken aback and talking to this guy. And then the whole, wait, where the hell did you come from? Like that realization where she's like, who, wait, who are you? Like, why are you here? Cause she's realizing like where she is in this situation. Yeah. And he's been talking to her. And then he says, this confused look on his face are wait, are you not the babysitter? No, but I love even before that, like he's going, oh, yeah. Ooh. he's going, Oh, it's um really cold out here. And she's like, whatever. And she's she's just so funny. She's like, You're not fucking getting in my car. That's that's I think what that's what leads up to that because he's like, Oh yeah, it's really cold out here. And she's like, Okay, yeah, whatever. And then that's the that's the whole like, wait, what are you even that's the realization of what are you doing out here because yeah. of of that trigger where she's just kind of looking just like, yeah, wait, who, who, who are you guy who just came up to my car with a lighter? Why are you hanging out in a cemetery, you know, late at night, you know? Right. Oh, and man. then, yeah, he's like, oh, I don't know. Does, does he ask if she's lost or something? I don't know. But yeah, he then he realizes. Asks, he says, he says like, are you not the babysitter? Mm -hmm. Like after she asks, like, who are you? Like, what, you know, what are you doing over here? And, when she's like, no, I just, all she had to say was no, I, that's it. You see a gun, boom, face blown <laughs> off. And might I add excellent practical effects um, right there. It was brutal. It was brutal. It was, it was like a squib in a face just exploding. And I'm thinking, what type of gun do you have <laughs> like, what? that thing is a hand cannon because that did mm -hmm. a lot of damage i mean it did all the damage mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it was something and just the way everything splatters because you see for a second the damage the damage in that brief moment it's yeah. a frame essentially it is and then you see 
everything hit the windshield. Oh. Okay. But she's her hands are covered with blood and everything. The one thing that's not is the cigarette. The cigarette somehow is bloodproof <laughs> this entire time, even though her hand is soaked in blood. Bloodproof Ooh. cigarette. It doesn't matter though because that's such an awesome scene. And you're by this point you're 35 minutes into a movie that runs 95 minutes. If anyone was like, man, I think this film is kind of boring. Yeah, it's a slow burn, but that woke everyone yeah. up in the. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. And then meanwhile, you know, back at the house, Sam's there um, kind of bored, you know, and she's, you know, I don't know how much time has sort of passed in between, you know, these two scenes, but she starts calling. She starts calling Megan's home. Well, they haven't number. even left yet. They haven't, the, the couple hasn't even left by oh, this point. Oh, that's all right. They're, that's all right. We haven't oh. even been introduced to Mary Warnoff. We've been just, he's been there and he's like, I'm going to go upstairs and, and check on things. And we're like 45 minutes into the movie. And I'm like, by this point, this I think by the wife. time they leave, it's almost like that. The wife comes up from the cellar and she says, wait, what are you coming up from the basement for? She's like, oh, I had to get my furs, whatever it gets cold. Cause she's like, we're used to the desert, um, where they're mm. from. Mm. And that was a strange thing to say because if they're from the desert and this house had pictures of people where it looked like they grew up there, which we see later, it's kind of like a, oh shit moment. Mm. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of this subtle stuff just told in, in this extraneous, like back in, you know, extraneous dialogue. And then, you know, the husband comes down, they have their little kind of back and forth, make a few jokes and they leave finally. But also there's that really creepy bit. I mean, she's Mrs. Ullman um, is creepy looking. Oh, she's yeah, like sort of this wrinkled old face um, that's like just, I don't know, teeth protruding a little bit too much. She's got jet black hair, this like sort of fur. She's very thin, skeletal. She's got this yeah. sort of um, thin, she's got this fur, furry coat on. And she sits down next to Sam and she gets really touchy-feely with Sam. Oh, I bet the boys love you, you know. And she starts, like, stroking her head and you can – you just are creeped out. It's disgusting. It's a, it makes it's, it's the, I think it's that final test. Mm. It's that test of, of finding out if she's a virgin or not. Yes, yes, yes. Because it's, it's about how is she going to answer, how her response is going to be. Does she have that instinct of, like, I can tell. Because I think the one that they tried to get earlier, she knew. She knew just from having this little conversation of, you know, all the boys, I bet all the boys like you were something along those lines. So we get that final test. She seems happy with everything and they're going to leave. Mm. So then she's like, I got to call. I got to call Megan right away. Yeah. Is something is not right. Yeah. And, you know, she does and she can't get through she tries to call well actually in this is there's a point as she's just you know in the house we kind of get her going through and checking out different stuff of the house she calls up she orders a pizza by the way it's not a 555 number this is one of my <laughs> favorite things about this film it is have a real call, phone have you number. called that number have you no, called not, that? <laughs> I have one day i will though because the, the thing is mr Ullman repeatedly says to sam Call this number for a pizza. And he Three is times mentions yeah. the pizza. Yeah. And yeah, you know what? That that's another good point, too. It's all about like the few things that are really said or driven home. 
to get her to follow through on that. So she calls up. It's this really good pizza place. Not even a name of what it is. College kids like it. Okay. I'm pretty (laughs) sure I know what pizza place this is going to be. So she calls this number and they, they pulled a Patrick Dempsey lover boy thing with the pizza uh, when he's like, do you want anchovies on that or extra anchovies, which was the whole thing in that movie uh, where he basically was like Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo, but back in the 1980s and good. Um, so, you know, they, there's there's some nods to that, type, you know, that film, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. I thought it was funny. And as there, you know, she orders this pizza. Which just still, it's like, do you have a small pizza? No, we only have medium and large. <laughs> okay. okay. <then. laughs> and the whole conversation okay. was very strange that she was having with this pizza guy. It yeah. just seemed, it seemed weird. Yeah. Um, mm. She said the address and the person was like, oh, and seemed super interested and perked up to that, which was mm. like, okay. So she is, you know, she, she does that. She tries to call her friend again, keeps trying to call. She finds a photo. She finds this photo of a family that looks very, very different from these people. Yet that has the same station wagon as these people. And so right away, that's this moment of whose house is this? What is going on now? She is panicking. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's like we're like, yeah, talking home invasion here. And she, I can't remember, she's sort of dancing while she's waiting for this pizza to arrive. Is is it then that she's sort of dancing around she's the house the most, with a walk? She's the most reckless person in the world. For a person getting paid $400, <laughs> she is the worst babysitter <laughs> ever. She dances around the house. Jumps on the couch. Jumping around, probably making noise. We don't hear because she has her headphones in. Uh, goes to the basement and is like, nope, not doing that. Closes it. Yeah. And then heads upstairs, knocks a, va- like a, a, a vase or vase onto the floor, shatters everywhere. It's like you just broke something. Antique. It's probably worth more <laughs> than what you were paid. Yeah. And then she goes downstairs. She gets, you know, she starts cleaning it up, and she just notices this like sort of like closet in front of her, and she opens it right, and in there is hanging up a row of like fur coats. Which, first yep. of all, you're like, what? The fur coats were supposedly stored in the basement. When she this even is she straight American. up even says it out yeah. loud too. She's like, yeah, wait, these are supposed to be in the basement. Yeah, and that's when she finds the photo. And that's when she finds the photos, yeah. And you're just like, oh, shit, what's happened here? And is it then that the camera sort of pans out and you see what's behind one of the other locked doors? I think so as it's as it's moving because she gets close to the door. Um, and then we see that because she goes and gets a knife. She heads upstairs. She hears something and she's going to go upstairs into the attic and it pans in and it's that family that's yes. been murdered. And put on this like pentagram, you know, occult yeah. symbols up there in the attic. And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. And these these are ruthless psychopaths. You know, there's, this kid is, um, what, nine years old or something lying yeah. there. Looks like his eyes are taken out or something. And it's just horrific. And, and then so, yeah, you, you're really... Um, scared starting to get scared at that point i mean you know obviously megan's already had a 
head blown off. Now we've seen this. Um, and yeah, she's she's in this house um, and a lot of dark corners and shadows and locked doors. And uh, she gets interrupted by the pizza being delivered, right? She's right, freaking she's out. A, well, she's <laughs> about to go upstairs into the attic. She's like, it's that moment. And you're like, oh, you're about to find all this stuff and buzz, buzz, buzz. And it's this loud, um, I mean, the doorbell thing is just so loud and rings like an old school telephone. And so that she was runs. a great jump scare, actually. It was, a, oh, that it's, was a it's fantastic. <laughs> it's great. It's perfect because in that time you're thinking to yourself, hey, isn't the pizza about to get boom? And it just happens at this perfect <laughs> moment. And so instead of her seeing all this stuff, she runs downstairs in a very childlike moment, almost like a home alone, I'm afraid type moment, <laughs> runs, opens door. We don't see the face of the pizza guy, kind of like when the door opens and we don't see Tom Noonan's face and gives him the 20, keep the change, even though it was like eight bucks mm -hmm. and which it's also a weird, whatever, gives him the $20, closes door. She has the knife out like this when she takes the pizza in, clutches it to her chest. Now your pizza is tipped sideways. You ruined your pizza. <laughs> So she, she gets, she gets it is she's breathing, you know, she goes to eat the pizza and it looks, the first thing I see is when she opens the pizza, I'm like, number one, it looks like it's been sitting around for a while. And number two, it looks exactly like the pizza that they were eating at the other place. <laughs> that tasted bad. Oh, but I, I don't know if the reason that it tasted bad was if the pizza was drugged or if the water was because she was spitting up the pizza and she was like, Oh, this is really disgusting. Like this is gross. And I think it was because the pizza was laced with something by yeah, that point. So. Because she gets, yeah. she gets groggy once we finally get her to go back upstairs yeah. to figure out what's going on. By the time we get there, all of a sudden someone is outside like, you see a hand coming towards her and before anything can really happen, she starts getting dizzy mm. and passes out on the ground. And sort of throughout this whole time, I mean, it's really building quite slowly. And, yeah. you know, also, you know, the, the eclipse is drawing closer and closer and closer throughout all of this. So, you know, it's really building to this climax. Um, and, then yeah, she 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 does. She passes out and um, well, actually, before waits. that, we find out who the pizza guy was. Mm. I forgot about that. We mm. we get that pullback, and the guy walks away, and it's AJ Bowen's character who is uh, the the um, the son uh, of this family, and he is just watching, and then he looks up at you know uh, the eclipse and how it's it's happening right then, like it is yeah. at that moment. And then we cut to, you know, when she goes in, we see her pass out. It goes black. Yeah. It's an hour and 15 minutes into this film. It's pretty much exactly at that moment. Boom. She is tied up on a uh, pentagram, like on the ground, you know, I in guess the in the basement. basement. Yeah. In the oh. basement. So that's what Mrs. Ullman was doing down there, preparing the, uh, you know, sacrificial sort of area with candles and pentagrams and all sorts of other stuff and uh, you know i think this is where 
I felt, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I felt that the, they must have changed the camera or something that they used during this scene because suddenly it's gone from this feeling like this really grainy sort of warm shot on film to, and maybe this was intentional, but suddenly it's super high definition, slightly overexposed, like everything's really well lit, but we, we kind of had a lot of soft and dark, you know, like, like lots of contrast and shadows and stuff before. Suddenly it's like she's woken up everything's super sort of lit and and um yeah it's just super high definition and it just started at that point this whole ritualistic scene to me felt very 2000s mm. and I didn't like it I didn't like it I felt like um I mean I don't know I mean do you know do you know um if they changed the camera or, or sort of what they would how they were shooting it I mean I th I think just from watching it it seems like a lot of it dealt with the lighting and the fact that when we got to the ritual, everything kind of changes in the way that like an Argento film, once we hit that dreamlike sequence, things kind of change as well. I actually, I guess that one of the best ones would be audition mm -hmm. where you go from things being very serious and real to that dreamlike state where things are very just kind of off. I think it was filmed this way because she's waking up after being drugged in this very strange situation she's dressed all in white now she's tied up you know to the to the floor of the basement on top of this pentagram i i guess it gets clear because you know we're we're trying to have something lit really well in there i it's still shot on 16 millimeter okay. but I think it was it was probably the type of lighting um, that went into there because once we get back into the house though, or up Isn't into the house, yeah. I think it was just I think it was just the way that they were doing it with the stylistic choice of of the yeah. way it was shot in the basement. Um, just because it really is a kind of what out of nowhere. I mean, we know that it's coming, but for her, it's a it's mm -hmm. a shock to the system. And we see. I I'm guessing this is the mother. It is. Yeah, I'm certain of which, it. She's this grotesque witch-like figure yeah. who's actually like a, played by a, a, a man, a male, yeah. I think, um, mm -hmm. and um, really sort of disfigured. And this 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 mother character, um, and Tom Noonan, and uh, you know Mr. and Mrs. Allman are there, and their son is there, and they're all sort of cloaked in black, you know, clothing and watching this ritual and there she is tied up and, and mother is slicing her up, pouring her blood into a goat skull and drawing occult symbols on her stomach yeah. and then making her drink her own blood. And, and the camera work here, I would say, is like awesome because it's sort of spinning around and you get that really woozy feeling yeah. and you feel like, what Sam would feel like, you know, it's quite visceral and, uh, you, you, it's, it's, it's disgusting. Um, yeah. and, and, and yeah, you, you realize something sort of go going on, something supernatural is about to happen. So. Oh yeah. Uh, and she is able to, during this, like she has to drink this blood, the blood's poured into her mouth. She's spitting this stuff up everywhere. It's absolutely foul. 
and she's and able she's to this, this girl's a germ phobe. We know this about her. So this so is like this is, her yeah. worst nightmare, right? She's this a is virgin like pure hell. germaphobe. So and yeah. so at this point, she she's freaking out. Germaphobe probably more than anything. Part of her is like, I have to escape. And, and, and she lives, uses, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she uses that strength to get out and is able to um, attack the, the grandmother, I guess, with just scratching her face or something, you know, like claws at her. Gets a knife, stabs uh, Tom Noonan. He, you know, is like, ah, <laughs> getting stabbed <laughs> in the gut. Puts a thumb in A.J. Bowen's eye. Mm-hmm. Blood pours That's out nice. of his eye. Mm-hmm. But he's now coming after her. She is trying to get out of this place. She is covered in a good amount. I think she's covered in a good amount of blood at this point. She, she, yeah, so she's yeah she's covered in blood. It looks really awesome. So you have, like, the white dress is now just stained with so much blood. But question, she's running down the she's she's sorry, run up the stairs out of the basement. She's running down a corridor. And what does she trip on? Megan's corpse. Now, why is Megan's corpse in the house? So Megan has been shot in the head in a car in a cemetery, and now her corpse is in the house. Like why? Okay, yeah. I mean that that part I thought the corpse would have bled out because there's blood everywhere in there. Like, there was so much blood. It was almost like they shot her there, but they didn't. But you get to see what actually happened, yeah, because when she comes out of the basement, she trips and falls, and you get a very graphic close-up of a <laughs> faceless Megan. She doesn't have a face. But there's so much blood still everywhere. Yeah, why did they bring the body in? Maybe it was part of the sacrifice. Maybe the grandma eats flesh and is going to... Maybe, maybe, maybe they eat people on top of it. I don't know what they do. Uh, I mean, they're shooting people in the face and doing blood rituals to bring about, you know, the apocalypse or, you know, the demon spawn. So they've done this ritual on her pretty much, you know, and she's, she's gotten out of it or out of that area, even though it's happened. And she's having these like flashes, isn't she? Yes. And she's seeing mother's face flashing in her mind. And it's a really um, great moment because it's so Captain Howdy, isn't it? You know those, like, quick flashes in The Exorcist of Pazazu? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's that type of effect. And so suddenly something's happening to Sam and something she's, you know, bent over, so her stomach hurts and she's, like, you know, trying to escape this house and she, she... she gets out, doesn't she? I can't remember what does she, what happens to Mrs. So, Ullman in all of this. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So she was downstairs still. Um, she's able to. I guess she knocks her down or something, or she goes to tend to everyone else. But as she goes upstairs, the son. I think his name is Victor or something. Yes, it is. Yes. Okay, so Victor is is chasing her, and shoots her, like in the shoulder, far enough yes. away that it doesn't blow her shoulder off. Close up, probably would have. Um, but she goes down, and he's about to just, he's saying, like, it's already, I guess, going to, I think he was even going to kill her or something like that. It seemed like he was going to shoot her anyway. And I'm like, okay, well, that that's seems kind of a waste of time, man. <laughs> seems counterintuitive. But she spins around with that knife, slits his throat, and he just pours blood out, and it is fantastic. The look fantastic. of shock on his face, he's like, 
it's just complete oh. shock. Yeah, it's great. So great. So then she she's like, I got to get out of here still and runs up to the attic. And I think it's to the attic. And she, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Ullman oh, ends yeah. up finally running upstairs and seeing her son dead. Now she's getting mad. Like, okay, someone's dead. So then she goes and chases her up there. Mm. And then somehow, you know, um, her wig gets ripped off. Mrs. Ullman's wearing a jet black wig. And there was also that weird thing earlier about clumps of hair in the bath, which was disgusting. Like she trimmed the wig or something. Anyway, that was gross. But the wig yeah. comes off and she's, Mrs. Almond staring out of the window up at the night sky to the, you know, moon or clips or whatever. And she's like, Lord, tell me, what do you want me to do? Or something to that mm -hmm. effect. Um yeah, and then what happens to Mrs. Ullman then? I can't remember. Well, first she, she knows that something's going on in Sam's stomach because Sam looks down at her stomach and she sees what looks like this, like when a deadite bites uh, Ash's hand in Evil Dead and you see the black lines shoot all through it, that's like how her stomach's starting to look. She's oh, infected yeah. with something. So, And she's getting more of these visions. Um, and she, that's when Mrs. Allman tells her, like, it's already happening. No matter what you do now, it's going to happen. You can't do anything to stop it. So that's when she goes up and looks out the window, pulls her wig off. And, you know, with the clumps of hair, I'm thinking that a lot of this has to deal with rejuvenation and rebirth. Mm. So when she keeps seeing the grandmother in her mind, it almost makes me think that the grandmother is going to be reborn through her. Could be. I always thought it was like the Antichrist. But that's that's I what know. I thought too. But now I'm wondering because mm. with her, maybe maybe uh, with Mary Warnoff's character, I think that maybe she's aging quickly. And if they they do this, she'll be able to become young again. I think there might be the possibility of that because yeah. it seems like why would all the hair be just clumped out in there? It's just it's a very strange Weird. thing to see. And then when she pulls the wig off, you're like, wait, what? What is going on? Like, yeah, this is very locks. strange. It's disgusting. She's got this bald head with these yeah. fine strands of hair, scraggly. Um, yeah. It's really quite repulsive. And um, yeah, and then she, she escapes, doesn't she? Does she stab Mrs. Ullman? She stabs her right in the back. Yeah. She stabs her in the mm -hmm. back with that uh, knife that she had earlier. And Which magically keeps reappearing. Like <laughs> she magically keeps finding a, a really good kitchen knife. <laughs> Stabs Mary Warren off in the back. Uh, she bleeds out and is dead. So now she's like, well, I'm getting out of here. So yeah. she runs out and Tom Noonan, still alive, holding his stomach, very calmly, just like, no, don't go. Wait. <laughs> You're the pulls, chosen one. <laughs> right. He chose you. And he he pulls the he's holding the knife in him still. The one that she stabbed him with, the other one that was there, the sacrificial. <laughs> let's say the sacrificial blade. Um and like he's had it in him for so long. Just keep it there, you know? You keep the blood in. He pulls the thing out and he just starts pouring out blood like Hurting. a little faucet. <laughs> but he's still walking after her. She's mm -hmm. running through, you know, it, apparently now she's running through the cemetery. She has the gun. She's picked up the gun mm. and he's chasing her and she's 
fall, you know, she falls over again, I guess, because, you know, this thing's taking over. It's, it's mm. infecting her. And he says, you know, it's almost complete. Uh, the, the eclipse is almost over and then it'll happen. He's like, you can kill me. That's fine. I'm just a messenger. But it's the part she's like, I, I, the part I love, and I thought she delivered this line so well, yeah. Jocelyn, is she sort of like in such desperation says, what have you done to me? You know, she yeah. is just like terrified. And then she, yeah, she's pointing this gun at him, but he's like, kill me. My work is done. And then she's like, oh God, what needs to happen here? And she makes that big choice, doesn't she? It is... Yeah, because she knows, like, he's like, oh, it's about to happen. You know, it'll be finished within moments. And so she doesn't really even hesitate. She just puts the gun up to her head and pulls the trigger. But right as it goes up, he's like, no, no. Boom. Gone. You just, just falls over. And then we, we get shots. Do we get shots back through the house or do we go straight to the hospital from there? Can't remember. I think we go. I think we probably go straight into the hospital from there, but it's a long shot of going mm. through because they talk. Oh no, we go to the news, and the news talks about the lunar yes. eclipse ending early. Yeah, ending super like urgent, like yeah, unexpectedly early. Yeah, that's which right. I think that was. I think the whole thing was they did the occult ritual to make it go by quickly to bring about whatever this thing is, and that would have happened no matter what, uh, because he, you know, he even said, "Oh, it's almost over." You know, it was going to end yeah. early. Um, but, yeah, it seemed that everything seems like, oh, the day is saved. Yeah. We start moving through the hospital. and uh, <laughs> We go into a room. And guess who's there? <laughs> alive. And, Very uh, much alive. <laughs> Samantha yeah, has but... her head bandaged up. <laughs> and the nurse comes in. Yeah. And the nurse, the nurse pats her and says don't worry you're going to be fine both of you <laughs> and then pats and then... her stomach <laughs> and it's and like I'm... and you're just left with you're just left with this big question like first of all shit for humanity um but also like what's she going to do like is she going to regain consciousness is it going to be a Rosemary's Baby type moment where she looks into this this creature's eyes and, and births it and looks into its eyes and then says, well, I am its mother? Or do you think she's going to like attempt suicide again before it gets to that? And how long do you carry a demon baby? I don't know. But, you know. How, how, how is she supposed to be fine? I You're going to be fine, both of you. <laughs> no, no, you shot yourself in the head. I don't think you're going to be fine. Suspend belief, Rob. Suspend Well, belief. I mean, she now could become like them. You know, mm-hmm. she, she could have those fits of aggression and rage, and it could just totally change the way that she thinks and processes things. She might be in a vegetative state forever. Oh, you're going to be fine. We don't know that. You know, she mm-hmm. can just say that to her. But if the baby, they're able to deliver the baby, you know, through a C-section, if she's in a mm-hmm. coma, uh-huh. Mm. Apocalypse baby. <laughs> so yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty funny ending, you know. Um, yeah, probably not that plausible that she would survive. Um, no, but it's but, the whole evil wins in the end, and also, and that's what I like about it, you know. Yeah. That's what I like about it. <laughs> well, I think like I think maybe because 
she had she drank the blood the ritual had happened right so her vessel is probably a lot stronger now than it was beforehand so she could probably take a lot more damage you could always oh, chalk God. it up to that <laughs> no could, for all we know she could regenerate oh god yeah true uh, it's true who knows now she could have super yeah. superhuman supernatural type uh, strength and powers for sure um but i loved it you know i loved yeah. it i mean look i think uh the first time i watched it particularly because of the aesthetic i was blown away i absolutely loved it watching it and, and i just love those you know john carpenter shots those like awesome sort of down shots down the stairways those someone you know zooming into windows from the outside and someone's watching her from the other it was just this really like great carpenter-esque type feeling um you know, lots of influence from Rosemary's Baby, lots of influence from, um, you know, other type of cult films. And, and you know, yeah, I, I loved it. I think now the 80s thing's a bit overdone. So watching it back, I, you uh, know, I was, it was probably not as cool. But um, I, see, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I have to say I think the opposite because I think that it's done so well that other movies can't live up to it. So when people are like, oh... Stranger Things takes place in the 80s. Look how cool it is. Great, it's fine. But this looks like it was shot in the 1980s. That's right. It's more totally different. Yeah, it, it looks more authentic. Um, and that's because of the technology and the, te- the, the techniques. You know, they really used the start, the, you know, they really worked the way they did back then. But no, I still, I do still love it. Um, oh, yeah, it's great. And I it's think a it, solid, it, solid recommend. Absolutely. This is uh, it's a it's a great blend of, you know, Argento, Hitchcock, which Argento modeled all of his stuff off Hitchcock anyway. But you have that with Carpenter influences and, and all these other ones and this, this just whole. Deep rooted based on a true story appeal that they put into it, which we don't even know what stories it's based on, but apparently it's well. based on. It's a throwback, right, to yeah, the yeah, um, urban, that urban legend, you know, the babysitter and the man upstairs. Well, oh, yeah. it's actually the babysitter and the, the woman or the witch upstairs, you know, really. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, it definitely taps into the old folklore as well. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And this one, I still say that she should have just listened to Megan. Everything would have been all right. Megan was the voice of reason, and she was awesome. Taken way too soon. Taken too she soon. Did. She let her guard down. She did. She did. Love, loved her. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, overall, uh, it, yeah, it's a solid recommend. It's, it's, a sol- it's a great throwback feature. It's something where if you want to kind of relive the 80s, if you want to relive 1983 or that filmmaking style with a modern-day filmmaker, yeah. and you like Greta Gerwig, this is the movie <laughs> for you. Uh, it's, it's just really cool. It's, it's, a, it's a solid throwback. It is a slow burn. It is. In the same way, I Am a Ghost is a slow burn. But just sit through it. It's great. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I think it, it's one of those, as you <laughs> said, like, it's, well, the atmosphere too, as, as I'm watching it, people are doing stuff that they would do in this situation. Like just her sitting around Megan with the candies and she's just sitting, trying one and getting rid of it and then finding the one she likes and going through that. It's like, people have done that. So it's so relatable yeah. as a person. So you can relate to this type of 
especially yeah. if you're a child of the 80s, you can totally relate to not no cell phones or anything like that. <laughs> and you just have to rely on, please answer the phone from the number that I have to contact exactly. you with. I can't text yeah. you. And that was exactly. the beauty. It is, it is, it is like the last time. It's that that sort of era is the last time where no communication was possible. You know. Yeah. yeah. It was a, it was a definitely a pure throwback feature because it was. I think the last I read the last feature film to come out on um, clamshell VHS was History of Violence, and then. Four years later, for this one, or five years later, they did a special edition with with that clamshell packaging for yeah. a VHS version, which is amazing. That's how I feel like this movie needs to be watched, is on VHS. Yeah. Like, if you yeah, really yeah. want to have a throwback, you could throw House of the Devil in with any of those old-school features, and you wouldn't be able to tell when it was made. Also, yeah. Masks is the same way. Masks looks like it was made in, like, the 70s or 80s, and when was it? Like, when was it made? Most? 2011. Oh wow! Yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't see that one until like 2017 or 2018. And I found it on Amazon Prime randomly. Just appeared on there. How good is Amazon Prime? Oh my god! All the it's fantastic. Shit getting added, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Between that, like Tubi TV, Tubi has like the most horror movies. Not necessarily yeah. good ones, but they have the most. Uh, Shutter's been solid. Yeah. I mean, they've all been they've all been pretty solid, and especially now with a lot of people being in quarantine, it's the best time to watch these films. Because yeah. um, you can watch this one on Amazon Prime, but you can also watch it on Shutter if you have that, or the Shutter Amazon app. So you can watch it in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, I, this was this was a fun episode. I really this was awesome having you on. Like it was great to get your your view and insight on this film. Thank you. No, it's a, it's a great one to sort of digest, dissect, I should say, and just, um, yeah, as I said, one of my all-time favourites and really thrilled to have had a chat with you about it, Rob. So thank you. It's been great. This has been absolutely fantastic, Victoria. So we got to learn a little more about each other and, and really delve into this film and why we like this film. You know, I think yeah. that's that's important. Yeah, it's good. Thanks again to Victoria Hall for coming on and talking about House of the Devil. Thanks, Rob. It's been awesome fun. Thank you so much for having me. You can find out more about Victoria at victoriahallauthor.com. And if you'd like to listen to more episodes of the podcast, you can find Oh the Horror at holmesinvasion.podbean.com. We've got a back catalog of about 100 to about 118 episodes, so there's plenty of stuff to go through there. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and any other social media platform at Holmes Invasion. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Until next time, I've been Rob Holmes, and this has been Oh the Horror. Yeah.